This is the Smart Passive Income Podcast with Pat Flynn, session number 149. Whoop, whoop. Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host, who once paged himself just to be one of the cool kids, Pat Flynn. Now, as you know, I've been in the podcasting space for quite a long time now, and I've had a lot of success with the multiple shows and and episodes and even the courses I've created. Part of my success is due to how particular I've been in the tools that I use, and one of my favorite tools is Buzzsprout. For those of you who are not familiar with Buzzsprout, you need to be, because if you have a podcast or you're looking to start one, Buzzsprout is by far the easiest way to start podcasting, and they're making it even easier. This is a podcast host, and it allows you to get listed on all the top directories, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, etc. I use it myself. They've provided advanced stats for us now so that you can track your podcast downloads and understand exactly what things are happening with your show, which is really key, right? Just there's not a lot of data that uh, a lot of tools give us access to, and Buzzsprout is some of the best. They'll even help you build a website for your podcast so your audience can easily find you online and listen to all the episodes right from your site, too, if, even if you don't have a website. On the technical side, this is one of the coolest things I've seen in a while. Through the host, Buzzsprout, you can automatically optimize your audio through their newest feature, Magic Mastering. So Magic Mastering is like an Instagram filter, but for your audio. And it takes the audio you have and just automatically masters it to match the Apple Podcast authoring best practices. It's totally awesome. Just, I love them because not only is it just a super easy tool to use, but I know the team there. They are the sponsor of this episode. And I wanted to make sure you got to know who they are because they're they're a great tool. And if you're just starting out with Buzzsprout, you can actually get a special deal. Their plans start at $12 a month. Buzzsprout is a wonderful partner of mine and, you know, you can actually get 33% more time on your plan, whichever plan you choose, just through this link alone. And that's smartpassiveincome.com slash buzzsprout. And that's a huge deal, 33% extra time on your plan just by going through that link. You can claim that again by going to smartpassiveincome.com slash buzzsprout. Check them out, they're awesome. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 149 of the Smart Passive Income Podcast. And yes, I was that lame to call myself on a pager just to look cool in front of my friends I just no self-esteem back then. But here we are today, and I'm really excited because this episode, we're bringing back a guest who's been on twice before in episode 46, the most popular podcast episode in SPI history, and also episode 85. This is Dane Maxwell, who's coming at us a third time, but this time, he's actually come on to interview me. So I'm not gonna waste any more time. We're gonna go right from the beginning and talk exactly about why we're doing this, but also how you can also create a software business of your own as well. So here's the interview with Dane Maxwell from thefoundation.com. What's up, Dane? Welcome back to the Smart Passive Income Podcast. How are you today? I'm good, Pat. How are you, man? I'm doing great. So you were in episode 46, the most popular episode of the Smart Passive Income Podcast. How's that feel to be, you know, out of all the 150 episodes we've done to be the most popular guest on the show? A little nervous that uh, I may not ever live up to that again, to be honest. <laughs> Dude, it was such a good episode, and then you came back on episode 85. We'll have all the show notes there and all the links in there as well. Um, but today's going to be a little bit different. We're going to have you interview me about my recent venture into software, which, in fact, it wasn't my first time doing so, but definitely more successful. But uh, we have a quick announcement to make, actually. For those of you listening to this right now, this is actually a re-recording of this interview. And uh, the reason we did that is because we had it come out 
uh, last week, uh, Dane and I did an interview a while ago, and it came out last week. And there was a lot of feedback from the SPI community saying that they just wish they heard more of me and what was going on inside my brain. Not to say that Dane was sort of just butting in and talking the whole time, but uh, that's what they wanted more of. And that's what we're definitely going to bring you today. And Dane and I talked. I had an open window today over the weekend um, while the kids are napping. And uh, we're going to shoot it again for you guys because we only want to bring the best for you, all of you listening, and make your time definitely worthwhile. We're going to shorten the episode, but we're going to bring you more, and Dane's going to go deep inside my brain, hopefully pull a lot of stuff out there in regards to building your software business. Does that sound right, Dane? Yeah, that's good. The loudest thing I heard was it was like 70% me talking and 30% you, and I just wanted to say that my passion and enthusiasm for software kind of got the best of me. So I'm looking, I'm looking forward to for round two and I'm hoping the audience gets more value out of this one. Yeah, and we'll have the old interview linked to directly in the show notes as well for those of you who are just curious. But uh, it, it was, I mean, we could definitely feel your passion in that, Dane. And I, I mean, that's why it was so popular, the episode 46, because we could just hear it in there. And uh, this time we're going to flip the switch. So why don't you take the lead from this point forward? And first of all, why did you, I mean, actually it was your idea to, to do this. Why do you think this is important? I think people respect you uh, and they really look up to you. And I see a lot of really smart people getting into software. Mm -hmm. And I don't want it to feel unobtainable to people. Like, I think that software is a, a, a business that people could get into if they want to. It's not, uh, it's, not a, it's not as mystical or difficult or as big of a black box as they might think. And so I think through your story of getting into software, they might find, uh, they might find it as a possibility for them. Yeah. I mean, we've had other people on the show before, and I know a lot of my friends actually who have switched from more information product centric to software centric, specifically Spencer Hawes from Niche Pursuits. He now has Longtail Pro, which has become one of the top keyword research tools out there. Um, and, and there, there are so many other examples of this too. And I, I agree. It's definitely attainable, but you can make a lot of wrong steps along the way. And I remember my first time getting into software, I just made a whole bunch of mistakes. And then I kind of walked away from it because I was like, oh, this isn't for me. This isn't for everybody. Uh, I, I just need to focus on information and social media and all that stuff, which I'm good at. But this time around, I'm doing much better. So why don't I just hand over the wand to you, uh, Dane? Pretend like this is your show and, and, and kind of do what you can to, to dig deep inside my brain. Yeah, well, welcome everybody to another edition of Smart Passive Income. <laughs> and, and today we're going to be introducing and interviewing the, uh, the man who's changed so many lives, Pat Flynn. And, <laughs> and Pat, I don't know if you're even able to measure the ripple effects of what you've done, but I'm excited to get inside the brain of the man who has done this. Uh, to, to set a little context before why me, interviewing you on software. Uh, one, I typically teach people how to interview uh, to find business ideas. Uh, two, I have a successful software company myself. I've done a few, one of which is paperlesspipeline.com. And I also teach now full-time people how to get into the software over at the foundation. So being as this is my full-time endeavor, I'm super grateful to ask you questions on the topic, Pat. And with that being said, I wanted to start by asking, why did you decide to get into software? Well, I remember the first time I tried to get into software. This was back in 2010. A couple of my buddies actually had created some WordPress plugins that did extremely well. They were incredibly profitable, and I was like, "Man, this is this is 
this is awesome. So you can actually create a piece of software that it becomes a plugin for WordPress and you just sell it. And there's no inventory because it's a digital product, just like an info product. But it's something that was really appealing to me also because when people download that plugin, they pay for it, they download it, they install it, and boom, right there, they, they already got what they paid for, You know that value that they get for whatever solution that provides. And they were making a lot of money. And my initial thought was, oh my gosh, I have to get into this as well. This could be an amazing form of passive income in addition to what I'm doing with affiliate marketing and information products and things like that. So immediately I found a company out there that was able to create WordPress plugins. And so I tried to come up with a couple of ideas and I did. I came up with two ideas based on needs that I specifically had myself, things that I were I was already doing on my WordPress site, but I thought could maybe be done a little bit better or automated a little bit. Um, one of them related to the resource page on my site and uh, another one based on contact forms and how people um, sort of reach out to you based on different topics and things like that. Again, I was just so incredibly excited to get into this that I did a lot of things wrong and I want to talk about a lot of those things the first thing I did was just rush through those and I just basically wrote an email to these developers and I got two built at the same time to just do whatever it is that was in my head and I and I explained to them exactly what I wanted to happen I was try, I tried to be as detailed as I could and I remember the first iteration of each of those WordPress plugins was not what I expected. They weren't following what I thought I had directed to do. And uh, the the long to make a long story short, the big lesson there was I didn't spend enough time with that idea to map it out, to wireframe it, to create some sort of graphic that I can just hand over to anybody really who could not be confused by it or misinterpret it. And um, it was just a it was just a huge uh, mistake to just rush into that. Another mistake was I tried to do two at the same time. I don't know, you know. A lot of you have heard me talk recently about the book by um, Jay, uh, you know, or Gary Keller and Jay Papasan called "The One Thing." Well, that then I was doing two things in addition to everything else I was doing, and I thought I could just throw money at this thing and have it be a success, and it definitely was not the case there. Um, so, trying to do two was a big mistake as well, and also trying to just chase the money and create something that was sort of mediocre and not focusing on the true problems, pains, needs, and wants of my particular audience. And I, I, looking back, I had such a good opportunity to create something amazing, but it was not those ideas that I had. It was, those were the first two good ideas I had, and I wanted to do both of them because I got greedy and I chased the money. And every time I've chased the money first before thinking about how I'm actually going to help other people, it's always been an incredible failure. And uh, long story short, I spent over $10,000 developing those two plugins and they never went to market. I never showed them with, to anybody else because I was just embarrassed. And then looking back, I, looking back, I'm actually really happy that those things didn't work out because they were a great learn. You know, it was a $10,000 lesson, I guess. But it was very, very, I mean, it was, it, it, it was tough to know that I just poured all this money into this thing and it didn't work out. But I learned from my mistakes and this time I'm going into the software business almost sort of by, I don't want to say by accident, but I was more open to what people were saying in terms of what they wanted. And that's when the smart podcast player came about. And now we're doing really well. We just came out of beta. We were in beta for almost six months and had a great group of users there who influenced a decision of what it is now. And you can find that at smartpodcastplayer.com. And uh, it's doing well. It's doing really, really 
well. And the best thing is to go to somebody else's site and see the player being used and have them just enjoy it. And that's the coolest part about software to me. And I'm really glad that I had those lessons the first time around because this time we definitely took it a lot slower. We launched with a minimum viable product and we sketched out the whole thing before it was going to be built and, and all that good stuff. What a share. Holy crap. Sorry, that was a lot of time. <laughs> no. So how how much do you remember how much money roughly you were making around the time that you started to get into software the first time? I was making about fifteen to twenty thousand dollars a month at the time. And what were these plugins doing that had you so um shiny object syndromed? Well, the biggest shiny object was just the fact that they were a plugin that could do something a little a little bit faster and more convenient than what I was doing already. And one of them specifically, for those of you, I've never revealed this actually, so this this will be really interesting. Um, one of them was a plugin to help you create your resource page. So on the back end in WordPress, when you'd sign in, you'd drop some links in there for resources. You would include images, or they would automatically be pulled from those websites. And then you could write a little description. And then on the front end, it would give you a navigation item menu that would be for resources or whatever you end up naming it. And it would put them in a nice little uh, formatted table on that page so it's really easy. And it would it would keep track of all the clicks as well. And it was interesting because once I um, shared this, I mean, I did share it with a few people who were in my audience at the time. And everyone was like, oh, that's awesome. That's really cool. And then I was like, oh, would you pay for this? And then a few people were like, yeah, you know, saying it kind of like that. Um, but the honest truth is, and I've learned this over time, people won't pay for things un- unless they actually pay for them. You know, they can say they're going to pay for them, but you won't know until they actually do it. Um, so, you know, looking back, maybe maybe the best idea, and, and this is something based off of a, of a recent interview with Jared uh, over at the PEGeek.com, he used validation to determine whether or not that was a piece of software that he created for his audience if that was something he should actually move forward with and if i had simply just put up a, i mean i had the audience for it already if i had just simply put up a landing page with a few bullet points about what this plugin was going to do and either just collect email addresses or have people prepay for it then i would have known that either it was something i could move forward with and i would have began to make money up front which could be used for development or it's not something i should move forward with and I can move on to another idea. Mm. So a resources plugin. A resources plugin. And, and the reason that was on top of my mind was because the resource page on my site, ever since the beginning, has been the most profitable page on my site. And it's not that hard to do on your own. And that's, that's the thing I found. People weren't willing to pay or they, they, they weren't that interested or it wasn't a big like, yes, this is what I've been looking for type of situation. Now, there are pieces of software out there that are doing really well that aren't, oh my gosh, I need this right now. But um, they're definitely much better than that initial idea, I think. I don't know, I'm curious to hear what everybody else thinks about that idea, actually, now that I've kind of resurfaced that. Yeah, I wanted to caution you on bringing it up just in case you don't have the bandwidth to build it if people ask for it. Mm -hmm. Um, it, The thing that uh, I was actually asking about um, and, and I'm glad we got to talk about that, was how much money were your friends making that had you um, get the shiny object syndrome in the first place? Like you're doing 15 to 20 grand a month, but you're looking over at these other guys in the WordPress space. Are they doing like 40 or 50 grand a month? Well, their plugins upon initial launch were doing six figures in a month for a, a few months during the initial launch. All right. 
that gives some good perspective. So you're at 15 or 20, you're still building your skill of making money online. And then all of a sudden these guys, what does, was it like they, they came out of nowhere and they're already at six figures and you're like, what the heck? I got to be doing this too. Yeah. And I got a little jealous and I got a little, you know, wow, maybe I could do this too. And then I kind of rushed the situation. Um, that's exactly what happened. Mm. Amazing. That's, that's really useful for me to hear. Do you feel that's very common? You hear or see other people out there who see what other people are doing and try to rush into things? If, if they're un- unhappy with where they're at, uh, yes. Uh, it's, it's, it's more alluring. If they're pretty happy, like if you're ecstatic and you're making 10 grand a month, you don't care if someone's making 100. If you're super, super happy, like with everything you have, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, does that land for you? It does, and it makes me wonder if maybe... I mean, uh, 10 to 20 grand, that's, that's incredible, which I was making at the time. And uh, it makes me wonder if I was unsatisfied in some way. Or maybe it was just because I saw other people doing something I didn't know how to do and I wanted to see if I could do it myself. But, of course, once I found out that I couldn't, I just completely threw software out the window. Like, I never thought I was going to be doing software ever again. Well, it might be useful to explore for a second um, what had you drive down this road because it really saddens me to see people get lost um, down down past that they probably don't want to be down eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm curious what was going on. Do you have any recollection, recollection of the feelings that were going on for you that propelled that? Propelled the idea of getting into software or getting out of it? <laughs> well, let's do both. Okay. Well, getting into it, it was definitely, I mean, like I said earlier, it was the money was was really really attractive to me and it didn't seem like those people who were doing really well worked all that hard they had a great team behind them uh which i later found out and developers (laughs) that were in-house they didn't just hand off their development to somebody and then say okay go make this they spent a lot of time in research and validating and getting direct feedback from their potential customers exactly what their plugin should be and how it should work and what it should look like and what it should do and those were things that i didn't know i never talked to those people like I should have. I mean, they were my good friends. I should have asked them about the particular, um, you know, uh, lead up into all this stuff. I mean, you hear about these overnight successes all the time, and that's what I was hearing at the time. But then you dig deeper, and you don't understand exactly how much work goes into those things, or how much time and effort was put into them, or how many wrong turns they made before that point. And then in terms of getting out, it was just complete failure, the most money I'd ever spent on something that became a failure, and so I didn't want to touch it anymore. I didn't think it was right for me. Mm. Yeah, I think Angry, Angry Birds was uh, the 33rd game that Rovio made before they were that runaway success. Yeah, I don't know if you remember, remember seeing Angry Birds and thinking getting an iPhone apps. It definitely occurred to me. Oh, well, I i mean, I got into iPhone apps too. A lot of people know I have an iPhone app company that was created before I got into the WordPress stuff. And I guess you could count that as software, but I, you know, it was, it was started with a partner and it was more for fun. It wasn't there to try and make money. It was just to see if we could do it. And I made the same mistakes the first time around. So I didn't even learn from the first time. So even rewind a little bit more going back to 2008, I had just started Smart Passive Income the end of the year, my buddy and I saw that this guy named Joel Calm, who has been on this show before and who's actually um, keynoting alongside me or after me at New Media Expo this year. I love Joel. He's awesome. He had made so much money and just <laughs> shot up to the top of the, the rankings in iTunes for iPhone apps at the time for this game called iFart. 
And me and my buddy were, were on the golf course and we were like, man, that's ridiculous. We can come up with better ideas than that. And so we decided to put a little bit of money together, not quite as much, maybe just a couple thousand dollars each to see if we could build the applications. And I remember our first foray into it, we put up a job on Elance for a game that had involved, you know, shaking your iPhone so the accelerometer would, would, um, know when to pop a cork on a bottle. And that was it. It sounds so dumb that I'm talking about it. Um, but, you know, we had that created, but it took, uh, so we hired a developer on Elance and our first mistake was it was the, the lowest bidder. And we wanted to, again, rush into it. And we had this just all this excitement for it. And we didn't do the research. We didn't ask anybody who had done this before. We just wanted to see if we could do it on our own. I don't know if that's like a guy thing or what. But, you know, we don't want to ask for directions sometimes. We, we want to see if we could figure it out. And that's what we were doing. And then we ended up paying about $6,000 total in three months until we finally had a working first version. And a lot of those mistakes were the, the exact same as my second round, kind of doing it on my own in WordPress plugins. So I guess when I did it the second time, I remembered the first time also. And okay, okay I tried this twice now, and uh, I'm out of here. This is not, this is not for me. Mm. Before we get into what you did, uh, well, what had you get back into it then eventually? Well, it's interesting because it wasn't even something that uh, that I did on purpose. It kind of just happened when Ask Pat came out last year in February of 2014. I needed a custom player built. How did uh, how did Ask Pat do for you, by the way? Ask Pat has been amazing. It was definitely the number one thing that I added to my brand last year. It has accounted for almost 4 million new downloads, which is cool. And yes, there's a lot of crossover there between Smart Passive Income users and Ask Pat listeners. But there are also a lot of people who listen specifically just to Ask Pat because it's shorter. Again, it's five days a week and it answers a voicemail question from an audience member. People who listen to the show love hearing the voices of other people in the audience. They can truly relate to them and then they hear my answer. It just increases my authority level as well and it's increased my exposure on itunes it has increased my income through sponsorships and so many great things that have come out of it and one of the cool byproducts was this custom player that i had to to build in order to to serve this podcast on my site because traditionally you have to post a blog post with an audio file embedded in it to have the feed read the, the the feed that you put into iTunes and Stitcher to have that uh, read that there's a new show, and so I was doing that for a smart passive income. I publish a blog post just like this particular episode right now, and uh, with a podcast embedded in it, and then you know it would be a new podcast episode. Now I didn't want to have five new blog posts coming out for my RSS subscribers every single week for people who were just getting this Ask Pat thing. So I wanted to create a standalone page, askpat.com, and on there just have listed all of the episodes that have ever happened and a quick, easy way to look through them, to sort through them, to see some of the quick show notes about each of those things. And so we had built what we had called the Ask Pat Player. This is something my in-house developer built for me, and it was done very carefully with no... Um, with no thought of it ever becoming a business. And it was built simply just to, 
to, to serve me. And um, we spent a lot of time on the design of it. We had a UX guy in-house as well, a user interface designer created, and we went back and forth for a really long time figuring out the best design and what you know what I what I wanted my listeners to do when they came to the site and, and featuring those things on the player as well. And after a few months, and to, you know we timed it right so that when Ask Pat came out in February, boom, it was there and available. And then the cool thing was when Ask Pat came out and I told people to go to askpat.com, they saw this brand new player there, which I didn't even talk about. But I started to get so many emails from people saying, where can I get a player like that? And you know, dozens and dozens, actually. And then my initial response was, well, you can. It's, it's my own player. I had it custom built and there's no there's no way to share this with you. I'm sorry. And I felt a little bit like, yeah, this is awesome. Like, this is my own thing. You know, nobody can have this but me. And then, of course, the entrepreneurial mind starts to think and understand that there's a business opportunity here. And that's that's really when we decided to convert that uh, sort of script into a WordPress plugin that was easily distributed to other people who can plug into their own WordPress sites as well. And that process took about four or five months, actually, to do. So whereas in my WordPress plugin experience from before they came back to me with an initial round of of uh developed wordpress plugins after a month to no absolute liking to me and no um it wasn't exactly what i thought it was going to be and then here i was spending a lot more time but then in the end it became exactly what i wanted it to be because it was just for me and i think that has a lot to do with why it's become so successful is because i spend a lot more time figuring it out exactly how it should be built based on the needs of uh, podcasters and also the needs of the listeners of podcasters as well. So then we launched in a beta program in August or June, June, July, I think July of last year. And we released 250 licenses and it sold out within a day. Um, and then we had a great group of beta users, 250 people who were there giving us feedback, helping us squash bugs. And it was just an amazing experience because a lot of them also shared us features that they wanted as well. And uh, we were really careful not to add all the features that I wanted on there too because we wanted to just release what, what we had even though I had all these ideas for incredible features for it. But we decided to go MVP or minimum viable product to get it into the hands of these 250 beta users, which is so important because they gave us the proper feedback. Some of the things that I thought I wanted in there were things that they did not want or find that they didn't find that would that would be very useful. And then they came up with a lot of amazing ideas too. And then we came out of beta just last January with some really cool features, some of my favorite features, including the speed control on the website. So if you're actually listening to this right now on the Smart Passive Income website for session 149, you can actually speed up the play and save, you know, one and a half to two times as much time listening through it, which for a listener is a great experience. And that's something that a lot of listeners on a mobile device do, but there is no way to do that on a website right now except through my player, which is really cool. But then for a podcaster, it's also great because people are getting through your episodes much quicker. People are being able to share your episodes much quicker. And then that's increased downloads and rankings for your own podcast as well. And the coolest part is after we sold this thing, even though uh, there were a lot of bumps and hurdles along the way uh, because of the team that I built to help with this project specifically. Um, it's just it's just amazing. And then people are emailing us back saying that they're having increased download numbers. And um, it's been really cool to finally succeed in the in the software space because, again, the coolest thing is to see it being used on somebody else's site and, and then having them email me to, to thank me for it is just such an amazing feeling. I mean, that 
that instant result that they get when they buy it is so, so cool. And I think that's why a lot of, you know, our colleagues and friends are getting into software as well, because there's just much more gratification, I feel at least, as opposed to information, which takes a lot longer to, you know, find the value from that transaction. For example, when people purchase something, they have to put it into action. They have to, uh, or they, they have to consume it first, then they have to put it into action, and only a certain amount of people are going to get to that point. And then, even if you put all the things into action, the, the results are going to vary. But with software, the solution is very clear, and I think that's a big reason why this is this one is successful, um, both in in terms of the research and development of it, and then the sale of it. Well, it sounds to me like there are like four or five big things that are different between this first time around with like the resources page and then this app. The first is that, um, that I have written down here is that you went slower. A lot slower. Um, this, the second is that, um, that I actually wanted to ask you about is you didn't release these other apps, the resources page and then a Facebook plugin thing you were talking about. It was a plugin for contacting. And the idea there was because I started to get all these emails, I wanted there to be a way for when people contact me to have it be organized when it gets to me. So I didn't have to organize them in my inbox. They were already organ- organized. Uh, in, see, even the way I'm, I'm explaining it just makes people like, what? Really? This isn't a good idea. <laughs> it looked like a good idea to me at the time. And it was a way, for example, and, and I know this already exists too. I just, uh, and, and there are solutions like it out there, especially in the uh, ticket service uh, type, type situation. Not like tickets that you buy to go to events, but when people have questions like Zendesk and stuff like that. So if somebody had a question about something, I could force people to choose a particular subject. And based on that subject, it either gets emailed to a certain person or it get, they get a certain reply auto response or it goes uh, to a certain folder in my inbox and things like that and I thought it would be very useful um, but it was just a little bit too technical for the team that I had hired and also I didn't give them enough information to and uh, part of the all part of the problem was as they kept giving me new um, developments of it I kept adding more things because I kept getting these new ideas as I started to see it unfold and then it just became way too um, too just crazy in terms of the features of it, but also how much it was costing. And then, you know, thinking back now, I mean, I have a great team now that provides customer support and they're answering questions every day now for people who are customers. It makes me wonder what would have happened if I did release those plugins and they were successful. But then WordPress upgrades, there are theme compatibility issues, there are theme compatibility issues on certain the- on certain versions of WordPress that are all different. It's just crazy, the environment out there, especially in WordPress, because you're working on a third-party platform. Um, if I started to get customer service requests, I'd have to like email this developer company every single time, because I don't know how to do those myself. And so it makes me wonder if the best solution is if you're going to get into software, so not just hand it off to a third-party company, but to have somebody who is either in-house or somebody who's contracted to work on those things include updates as well and bug fixes and things like that. We have a standard where we only hire, personally, I only hire, as best I can, individuals, not, not firms. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. And then you can either, I mean, there's a lot of ways to have those people come on board too, right? Dane, you could either pay them a set amount to have them work on something with a certain um, number of inquiries every day that they can answer. You can have them come on as a partner as well, which I know has uh, been very good for a lot of people too, because they want to get a little bit of a piece of that business too. I mean, there's a lot of ways to go about it, right? Well, yeah. My my favorite student that just recently surprised me was um, she gave 
uh, ended up giving 40% of her company. And then she just did all of the stuff that you're talking about where you, you talk to people, find the pain, document the pain, figure all that out. And then she has a development team that's uh, 40% and they take care of everything technical. The website, the lead capture, the product, everything's literally off her hands. So she gets to focus only on her zone mm-hmm. and she didn't, she hasn't paid him anything and it's just 40%. And um, that's a, that's a, that's, that was a pretty exciting deal for me. I've had other people do more of it and give 10%, but um, the money to hire a developer, it, if that's stopping you, it doesn't have to basically is what we're saying. Right, and I had a developer in-house, and of course we paid this person to develop this plugin. And the, the really interesting thing is this person who had developed the Smart Podcast Player actually left. And so for a while during beta, this was after we had the initial 250 people, I was really scared because I was like, okay, well, who's going to update this now? How is it going to, what's the future of it going to look like? Is it just going to die now already? Because so much is relied on the developer in this sort of situation. But we're really lucky to have another developer on my team who is mainly there for back-end server type stuff who really wanted to get into something more front-end like this. And uh, he's been a rock star too. And so in that regard, I'm very blessed. But it just shows you how important the developer is. Um, So you have to think long-term here. I was thinking very short-term my first go-around. And, uh, you know, just to the point at which I would have a sales page and make sales. And that's it. I didn't think about what would happen after that or a year from then or two years or five years from then. I am thinking about that with the smart podcast player for sure. That's why there's a huge customer uh, support, um, you know, focus there. That that's why um, we have a huge backlog of potential upgrades and features that we want to do. And I love the way that we're sort of organizing that in Trello to make sure that we're um, constantly providing new value to people over time. Which again, if we take a um, if we take a page out of lead pages, you know, each of those new features that you come out with becomes another excuse to talk about it, to market it, just to show how much value you're providing as a software company. And that's the kind of plan that we're going to have with the smart podcast player. For example, when we came out of beta, our brand new feature was the speed control. And uh, some of our later features are going to be uh, including you know, for example, if somebody listens to an episode and they get to the end of the episode, there's going to be a pop-up. And a pop-up can say, did you enjoy that episode? Click here to rate the show. Like, how amazing would that be? Or a pop-up that comes up to say, hey, if you like this episode, come get more. You can subscribe here on my list. And it just is automatically, you know, done in terms of how people are listening to the show as well. And so there's a lot of cool things in the pipeline. And I'm really excited because we're just starting out and we're already doing so well. And the... the that. That's the, one of the most exciting parts about software for me. The thing that you're doing really well right now is uh, you're thinking about all the cool features you could do after you have paying customers. Right, right. And we're, we're getting, most of these ideas are coming from them too. And then even if we come up with our own ideas, we have an amazing pool of customers who we can go and and ask to see if that's something they would find useful. And if they don't, then we didn't waste time and money to figure that out. The other thing that I saw on your site was you have a page on like a step-by-step thing on how to do podcasts. Yes, on my site, the the podcasting tutorial, um, which has been incredibly popular in terms of helping people for free get set up with starting their own podcast. Hundreds of people have used that tutorial. Well, and here's here's the thing I love about software is your software helps people play their podcasts. Mm -hmm. So now that uh, tutorial you have, it looks like it could sell as a course. People have <laughs> people have told me that I'm an idiot for not packaging it into a course. One, two, 
people have offered to pay me via PayPal for going through that course and having their show live on iTunes. Um, so yeah, absolutely. But I like to give that away for free because I want to get people's shows up on there and establish that trust and authority in the space. And now, I mean, it's 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 uh, paying off. And not everybody who goes through that tutorial is going to buy a player. It's not the player is is, is definitely for the serious podcaster. Um, but that's the market we're that's the market we're targeting. Um, but I want to start people off on the right foot so that they can then become a serious podcaster. And if I'm the one who who helps them get started, uh, likely they're going to go to go back to me for more solutions. Well, and if you look into the future and you see one guy's an info marketer and one guy is in the software space in a similar related field, over the next five years, it seems to me that the software guy will slaughter the info marketer if the software guy publishes information products for free that people pay for as the competitor's info, info marketer products, but he's able to publish them for free because these products all end up selling his software and they get the most benefits from using their software. And that's what I see on your, your podcast pages. You get the step-by-step tutorial guide away, which could be a course for 50 or even $100, and it's all free because you can give away that great information because you're still compensated on the software front. Right. This is reminding me of an episode I did with Derek Halpern. I believe it was number 84. And uh, that the title of that episode was Three Secrets of Successful Selling, I think. And in that episode, he talked about something called the bonus sandwich. So if you have a product, which is like the meat of your of whatever it is that you're selling, that's the meat, right? You need bread on the bottom and bread on the top. And so you have a bonus for people who cannot yet use your product so that they can then use your product. So for me, the bottom bread in this bonus sandwich is that free podcasting tutorial. Now, now that I'm talking about this, I could probably package up that podcasting tutorial in a more easily consumed manner, although it's fairly easy on podcastingtutorial.com, but I can make it a little bit more high quality. I can even put it all into a PDF for people and give that away as a bonus for people who purchased a smart podcast player. And then on the top part, the the, the top bread, if you will, um, that's a bonus that, uh, again, I, don't, I haven't implemented yet, but I love this idea. But those are for people, the top bread, if you haven't listened to episode 84 with Derek Halpern, that's the bonus for people who are already using or who can use the smart podcast player. So that, for example, would be um, maybe a deal on hosting or, uh, you know, podcast hosting or, you know, an audit for one's podcast to see if they're missing anything, um, you know, things like that. Well, in, in information marketing, one of the things I see newer people get stressed about is like, well, how much do I give away for for free and versus how much do I charge for? And the, and the old axiom for the, the guys that are more veterans in the space is you just say what to do and then you sell how to do it. And in this case, you can give away what and how because you have the software and it's just a, it's a great thing. I think Leadpages does this really well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And thinking back to a lot of my most successful campaigns for affiliate courses and products and things like that, you know, I've always shared the, the, the what and how and just recommended the tools and services that are required, right? Okay, you want to set up a niche website? Awesome. Here's exactly how you do it, step by step. Here is, here's how I built securityguardtraininghq.com. Here's how I built foodtrucker.com. I did keyword research, and I happened to use this product here called Longtail Pro. I had to buy a website or a hosting and domain package, so I went through Bluehost. And again, I'm giving everything away for free, and I just happened to be sharing these tools along the way. And here I am doing it again, except now I'm not sharing the profit with another company. I'm keeping that person in-house because it's my own piece of software. Yeah, and this is why I 
I'm excited to be in software myself is um, because of that competitive advantage. And I want other people, Pat, to get in software too. And in order to get into software, I, I want to spend the rest of the time talking about the skills in order to get into software. And, and you've mentioned these skills. Um, and in order to kind of illustrate the skills, I think it would be nice if we bucket them into the five steps that um, you could launch a successful software in. And so just starting on the on the I actually want to start on step four, which is actually building the product, step four. Because I think that's where most of the meat might be. And then if we have time, we can go into the others. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll get them all for sure. Um, okay. But I so, mean, every time I go up to a set of steps, I always jump to step four anyway, so. <laughs> really? Well, I mean, like, actual steps on a staircase. Oh, yeah, sweet, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty high step, dude. You're not even really, like, how tall are you? Like 5'8". That's a pretty good leap. I got some hops, though. I got some yeah. hops. So almost you, touched the rim. You said you used Trello, um, and you um, also said you launched an MVP, and then you also uh, gave some examples. And I want to talk about how you built the product. And can you just talk about your mindset and approach for building the product? And guys listening, just keep in mind this is step four of a five-phase framework we're talking about right now. Yeah, so before a build starts to happen, the person who is building it has to know what it's going to look like and how it's going to function. Again, mistake I made in the beginning was not wireframing it. And wireframe essentially is literally drawing it out exactly how it's going to look like, but not just what it looks like, but what every single part of it does. And you have to be as detailed as you can so that the developer has no room for error or interpretation. It's essentially, here's what it's going to do. Here's what this button does. Here's what happens when this happens, all those sorts of things. So we had to spend a lot of time on that part of it. And that's where I'm really fortunate to have connected with Dustin, my UX my UX guy, uh, user experience guy who thought about everything from um, y- you know the, the the flow that people would use it, how it would look and integrate on the page, to the colors, to the widths, to the fonts, to what it looks like when it's on a mobile device, and all those sorts of things. So it was really important to get get all of that done. And um, you know he did a pretty good job of of filling in all the gaps that could have been there. And then we hand that off to the developer. And and this whole time, you know, it's interesting because sometimes when you hand things off to a developer at that point, it's it's just kind of up to them. And then you're like, okay, um, how's it going? Oh, I'm still working on it, you know. And you don't really know because you're not in that world. You don't, you can't read the code that they're they're putting together. Um, so the most important thing for us to keep moving forward was to have deadlines when certain things would happen. So and, uh, basically, what usually happens is when people develop software is they they create the sort of most basic looking model of that. It doesn't look like what it looks like on the on the Photoshop file. It doesn't have the same colors, maybe even not the same fonts, but it functions, and that's essentially it. And we just want to make sure that the functionality works. And then after all those things are put into there, then you put in the skins, and you know, it, you may then you make it look nice. But again, the functionality is is that is the absolute most important part, and then. We would get iterations of that. So here's here is it functioning um, again, just totally plain looking, no colors or anything, maybe just black, white, and green or whatever. And uh, we started playing and messing around with it, and that's when we could begin to break it. And it's really important to try and break it over time in those iterations because then um, you can have the developer understand what those bugs might be and just to make sure that they're on the top of his mind so that he can fix them if he needs to at this point in time before moving on and then having to fix them later, at which point there would be much more code in there and much harder to find or 
you know, make compatible. Um, so th- those iterations along the way are really important. And sort of going back into the iPhone app industry, this is something that I learned to do just over time with these developers that I found. And I started working with developers actually from Russia and China, and they were really good. And the reason I like them is because every week we had a new sort of build. So in a, in a process that took maybe six to eight weeks for a particular application on average, uh, it, it, we would get a new build every single week just to test a new function and see how things worked. And that was a developer's way to know, okay, is he doing this right and this is how we envisioned it or not? Um, again, keeping in mind that the design is not close to what it would look like, but again, it's just all about the functionality. And then we get to a point where we have a final version, it looks good, and then my whole team would just get together and try to break it. We would try as many different combinations of things as possible. We actually bought a lot of theme platforms uh, to see if we could, um, you know, just test it on those different platforms and see what would happen. And we did find a lot of inca- in- incompatibilities as well. And that became another round of testing and coding and developing specifically so that people who were on those platforms could uh, c- could could purchase it and use it. Uh, and then when we were satisfied and we couldn't break it anymore, we opened it up to 250 beta licenses, which, um, you know, we, we gave them a deal. We gave them a lifetime license for a decent price, um, but also told them up front to expect that there may be bugs because that's the whole point of beta. That way, when something goes wrong, they wouldn't be upset and it's because they wouldn't expect a perfect product. But in exchange for not having a perfect product, they would have it as a first-time user, early adopter, and and the price that goes along with that. And then we found a lot of bugs. There were a lot of people who were doing some really fancy things on their website that we weren't expecting that were just hey, not. Hey, Pat, do you mind if I for a sec? Oh, no, please. Yeah, so I want to pause you for a second and just make sure I tracked everything because you've already said a lot and I want to make sure the audience hears it too. Sure, thank and you. And so we're leaving off at, at bugs and breaking, so we'll pick back up on that. But you said so you started with weekly functionality builds. Yeah, so would it be like every Friday you would check out the software? Yeah, I mean, as much as possible. It wasn't always every week, but there were there were due dates of when the next build, which had certain things in it, was 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 going to be done. And then at that point, uh, typically we would get a new build to test out. Yeah, got it. And then um, one thing that uh, we we do with uh, our developers is we have them uh, submit a daily update. Ooh, a via- daily update. Yeah, we don't actually look at the software every day, but we'll say, um, how much, how many hours did you work? Um, what did you accomplish? What problems did you encounter? And what questions do you have for me? Um, and then I say, if you didn't work that day, I want to know. So if you didn't, if the daily update is I work zero hours. Um, that way, I'm not left in the dark and feeling so anxious about where my software's at. Right. I like combining this daily updates with the weekly builds. It sounds like a great idea. Yeah, no, I love the idea of the daily update as well. It just keeps the developer on top of things and you on top of things if anything comes up and the developer you know that's an open forum right there for them to ask questions every day it's also nice because i find that developers solving their own problems when they write it out so like here's the problems i encountered and here's the questions i have and as he asks the questions he's like and actually i don't actually have a question i just sorted through the whole problem myself by writing this out yeah, which is cool. kind of funny you also mentioned you launched a beta mm-hmm. and i wanted to briefly mention just for a second, the, the the better word for this is typically either like early access or champion user. So the implication isn't that the customer is doing you a favor, but you're doing them a favor by letting them uh, in early. I like that. I like that. So in terms of marketing a, quote, beta or champion version, would it – I mean because in the software industry, we, we all use beta, right? I mean that's how it is, but our customers aren't necessarily in software. So is that, for example, a good opportunity to not even – mention 
beta, but sort of become, you know, have it be about the benefit that they're getting and not the benefit they're giving? Yeah, the thing that also comes up to me is the vast majority of the world also works nine to five. Um, and uh, we don't want to follow that either. And just so like a lot of people in software, actually, you probably don't want to follow as well. <laughs> and and um, and that would be in this case, you uh, want to kind of stay away from the word beta. Um, yeah, early access is, is more of a benefit. And there are a lot of benefits. There are actually maybe three or four real clear benefits that a customer gets by signing up early access, meaning they get the product first before anyone else. They get to influence how it's built. They get access to the to to you, the owner of the company. Whereas, you know, if you join an established software firm now, good luck getting any of those benefits. Yeah, um, true that. So, uh, okay, so you said that you had these weekly builds, um, and you possibly might combine them with daily updates. And but I want to hear how you got MVP, like how you launched it. Really, um, how you how you were able to strip it down to launch it. And I actually want to zoom out even even further. And maybe for anybody who's like, man, this is there's no way I could ever do any of this. I'd love to hear you speak into what your results have with the, with the product been have been so far. Um, just to kind of like take a, an inspiration break and let people know what's possible if they do go down this road. Yeah, I mean to to build it overall, and again, a lot of time was spent uh, doing it, um, and this this includes the time that was spent to build it even before it was going to turn into a business anyway. So it was about twenty thousand dollars to build it. Overall, and all the time spent, uh, you know, with the bug fixing and researching, and even implementation of the website and the sales page and things like that. Um, and then after the first beta launch with those 250 users, we are we had already surpassed, um, you know, the cost and 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 doubled it. So we had made about fifty thousand dollars total um, through beta before we even relaunched it to the public. Was twenty thousand just for your own use? Uh, yes. And which I, how much, which how I know much, sounds sounds like a lot, but again, I I knew how long I was uh, how long term I was going with the player or with with Ask Pat and also, um, you know, with the sponsorship stuff in there. I thought that was going to eventually cover it, but then we turned it into its own thing. So, well, it, it's it's not a lot for a business that's doing you know seventy to maybe one hundred and fifty grand a month. Um, it's it's a lot for someone starting out, and you you don't have to. You could still get products built for cheaper than that. Like I just want to comment that. You could have a developer build this on a partnership plan and, right. and take an equity. Right. Or, we we or had talked about that. Or pre-sale, right? I mean, I could have pre-sold <laughs> this thing for yeah. the same amount, and and like I said, I already made up the costs in the beta. So if I had if, if I had teased this out and asked people to pay for it up front, like literally take their payments, I mean that would have covered the the cost, and I would have been off and running. So let's make that possible just for a second. Then I want to go back to bugs. So you, uh, I asked you about step four, and you said, well, first, before you do that, we have to do a wireframe, which is actually step two, which is uh, sketching the solution. Step th- This is the five-part framework to, to launch a company with limited risk. Mm-hmm. Um, so step three is pre-sale. So step two, design the UI. Then you've got the UI built. You would then take that UI and then pre-sell it to customers. Is that what you were saying you would have done if you needed the money? Yes. And then after step three, you would have gone into building. And that's where you would have had this built with weekly builds. You got daily updates. You're trying to break it. Um, and but let's go into how would you actually go about hiring a developer to to build this in the first place? Well, like I said, I had a developer in the house that was uh, that kind of already did it for me. Um, so I know. But how, but how did you find them? Well, they were found through uh, through my uh, my project manager slash producer uh, Matt Gartland. Who found Jonathan? Jonathan was the one who put that together, and he. And how, was, did, and how did you find the project manager? 
he was through a relationship I had as uh, he was an editor for my book, Let Go. I hired him for that, and he got really interested in what I was doing and the value I was providing and was really in alignment with that and wanted to take on a more project management sort of producer role in uh, Flint Industries, which is my company. And uh, we've been working together ever since. So this is uh, over you know, three years now, I believe, we've been, we've been working together. But only the past year actually been putting you know, the, the, the throttle down on a lot of these bigger projects. And how did you find the editor? That was through a recommendation from another friend who said, uh, and I believe it was Adam Baker, uh, who had said, you know, there's this guy, Matt, he's really cool, and I, I recommend you check him out. And, so, this is, and this is great. How did you meet Adam? I met Adam. Oh, gosh. How did I meet Adam? Uh, Manversusdebt.com was his website, and I met him because I remember reading his blog through when I was reading personal finance blogs, and I had met him at a conference, I believe, the first time we saw each other. Uh, we spoke together at a conference, actually, FinCon 2011 in Chicago. And we got to know each other really well then. Mm. <laughs> the chain is amazing. Yeah, it was pretty cool to think about it. But I, I've heard a lot of people in software, um, you know, they either find a star developer, you know, somebody who has a lot of skills out there who they hire through a site that they come on full time for, or maybe somebody coming out of college who seems to have a lot of skills, or it's always this other thing. Like with me, it's just a friend of a friend of a friend or something like that. We're, we're actually hiring a developer right now to build out our, our entrepreneur platform. And we're using, uh, we're trying out a site called LaraJobs.com, L-A-R-A Jobs.com. Um, it costs us a couple hundred bucks and we've got maybe eight to 10 applicants in 48 hours. And they seem to be, there's got to be a a good one in there. Now, how do you go about determining who's the best or if they're qualified? Do you have them do a test build of some kind or do you, do they have like a portfolio that they share with you? That's a good question. Um, I'm, I'm inclined to keep the interview focused on you so I can say a, a, a well, few. No, please, this is important, I think. I look for uh, 16 things and I can't actually, uh, <laughs> I can't actually remember all of them offhand. Um, but, uh, you have like a checklist or an inspection point. Yeah, yeah, and I have it written out. It's on our it's on our blog if you like if you do a Google search for like how to hire a rock star developer and foundation is a keyword. We we have it all on the blog for free. And it's like things like they um they're proficient with the command line interface and also programming. Like instead of just being able to program in the development environment, they can also use a command line interface. You don't actually have to know this stuff. You just show it to a developer. But aside from those 16 things I'm looking for um how well their English looks when they're writing me. So I can tell you could, uh, writing programming language is, is, is like another language. So what, what you do is a frac, what you do one someplace is a fractal of what you do another place. So I'm looking at how they are speaking in their email because however cleanly they speak in their email can generally be linked to how clean their code is. Mm, interesting. Plus, I mean, in terms of communication with you and your team, you want that to be. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I look for that, um, and then I, I, I usually give them a, a small project. So right now we're looking for a front-end dev. So I've got about uh, 10 people that have emailed me, and I've got about three guys that I've got an initial small project that's like, I, that I just say, hey, can you throw this together real quick that they would do free? It would be something that they could do in two to four hours. And then if I really like how that looks, then I'll introduce them to uh, our current developer to see if they're a good fit. When I'm just by myself, that's the same process I do. I go to like really niche little sites where I find that superstars hang out at, um, mm-hmm. post, a, post a job or write a message, give them a little small thing, see how they look, see how good their English is. Then we proceed into development. If I have a little extra cash, I'll sometimes, and, and time, I'll split test developers. So 
I'll give them both the business and I'll work with them for a week. And at the end of the week, I can tell because, you know, you can do a lot of, um, a lot of due diligence, but it really just comes down to the code at the end of the day. And even if they show you code, it doesn't matter until you've seen them work for a week, what they can actually get done. Right. Nice. Nice. So you've got, you've got, um, so this five step process, it starts with the idea extraction. Then you go into sketching the solution, which you've got the wireframe put together. Then you would have pre-sold the wireframe, uh, to people. And then, uh, now you're into building it with the weekly builds. And how much time did you spend in the build phase? Well, again, this is before we, we, it, it was going to be a business. So it, the, the timeline's a little different here. This is for when it was going to become a tool for Ask Pat. Uh, it was about three three months. So we started, I think, in December of 2013, and then it came out February 2014. And so three months, and to me, it felt like a long time. But I've, I have a feeling that at least for bigger pieces of software like like this, it, that's kind of normal, is it? Uh, that, that's a great that's a great time frame. If you can get it in eight weeks, you're like you're like in heaven. Uh, Twelve weeks is great, and the kind of product that you're building is what we call like a level four problem. Um, level one meaning it's like an all-in-one software solution, like an Infusionsoft mm-hmm. or like an Entreport, which you want to stay. You definitely want to stay away from building level one problems because they're just a nightmare to build. Um, and then level four is the a kind of problem that just solves one very specific issue. Right. And um, when you get, can you you can find a software problem that solves one very specific issue, then you're able to get it built in in twelve to eight weeks. It's also easier to sell from an expectation standpoint because when you're selling smart podcast player, you're like, so what does it do? Well, it plays your podcast. Well, what else? Is, it just plays your podcast. Well, what else? It just plays your podcast, and um, you don't have to get worried about feature creep um, and get, getting pulled into all in one. So right. when you're in when you're in that phase, Pat, I think you're doing really well. Eight to twelve weeks. Okay. Sweet. And I think when you're just starting out, um, going with that one solution thing, I think that's really important as well. Uh, again, working on one thing at a time, but also solving one problem at a time. And if it's a huge pain, then it's going to be an easy sell and you'll be able to pre-sell this thing really, really simply. And then you can add in all those bells and whistles, which is kind of where, what phase we're at now. Yeah. So let's talk about, you've got the idea extraction where you solved, where, idea extraction is basically summed up in three words, find the pain. Find the pain, yeah. Find find the pain. That's where you get all your ideas. You think that getting a starting a business is about coming up with an idea, but really, uh, great business ideas solve painful problems. So if you just focus on pain. So for me, I mean, it was a pain that I had myself internally. I was sort of scratching my own itch and then sharing that back scratcher with everybody else. Although that sounds disgusting now that I say <laughs> that. Uh, but you know what I mean, right? But but for for everybody out there who maybe doesn't have a problem that they're dealing with right now. Can they go out there? What's the best way to go out there and find those problems? And like we talked about in episode 46, I mean, we talk all about that, especially in the first half with all those amazing golden questions that you literally call somebody and ask them to have them tell you what's that thing that they hate doing every day or that recurring task that they just wish was done faster and those types of things. Um, is, it, is there another way to do this? Is there a way to eat? I mean – um, in the last recording we did, actually, you had brought up a great example of just emailing people, and oh, you know yes. the, the the top bloggers in that space, and, and asking them what their biggest pains are. Right? Oh, sure. I mean, there there are um, a couple different really good ways. Uh, it depends on who you want to contact. It, it, in the case if you're contacting bloggers, you, you probably want to You want to try to guess on a really specific pain. 
Um, so if you were to email a top blogger, you might you might send them an email that's something like, um, "Hey, I'm just curious about how your bounce rate's doing. Um, I, I'm wondering how many people are bouncing from your site right now. I may have a few ideas for you." Mm. Uh, um, and if you if you send something like that, it's pretty hard. It's just one or two lines, and then you can go from there into a, a phone conversation generally about. Um, what it's like for them to run their blog. And then you can start asking them pain, pain extraction questions, which to save time, we can um, just direct them to episode 46. Yeah, yeah. But a, a, if you, if you want to jump in real quick, sorry to interrupt, if you want to just to throw out one question, you could ask any of your friends or family uh, around you um, it, that are in business what they use Microsoft Excel for. Um, <laughs> that, that's a really great question because a lot of people are hacking Excel together in ways that you could build software for. Um, and there are a number of other really great methods to do that, but that's a, a one just, just just to get your feet wet. You, you don't, yeah. What, what I'm what I'm most passionate about, Pat, is that people making entrepreneurship possible for people so that they it's a possibility for them. Right. And, and so that's one. So yeah, find the pain. And, and you I, got your you got your pain. Oh, I think I think another thing you mentioned before, and I don't know if this was off the offline or whatever, but it was really cool when you talked about it was understanding what kinds of emails people are getting. Yes. Oh, yes. I want to mention, make sure we talk on that because that that was really that was pretty incredible, actually, in terms of finding those ideas too. Well, yeah. So if you think about, um, if you think about, so we're in the five part framework to start a business with limited risk, and we're just talking about step one right now, which is find the pain. And if you think about like uh, electronic signature software, Pat, mm-hmm. um, and and how you could have been able to one that maybe to come up with that idea, and you were to imagine yourself talking to like a real estate agent. And you happen to be helping them with their email, like you sold some sort of email uh, consultancy service where you help realtors stay outside of their email so they can spend more time working on their business or enjoying life more. And in those emails, you start asking a realtor as they look at the screen, "Hey, which one of these emails takes up the most time and drains you the most?" And and then in that email, they happen to have an email with an attachment that's a PDF file that's like a purchase contract on their on a listing they have for sale. And you say, oh, they say this one. And then you, then you ask a very uh, important question. You say, well, how do you go about solving that problem right now? And then when you ask that, it sends them into story mode. Mm-hmm. And they'll say, well, I got to open the email, uh, print off this attachment, sign the contract, go back to the printer, scan it back in, go into my email, email it back. If you want to dig in, dig in a little bit, you can ask, how does that feel when you do that? Um, Get them feeling a little bit. You can if you if you want. The next question you ask is if you could wave a magic wand and do anything related to this problem, what would you do? And that's generally when they would be like, "Man, I wish I could just sign it right here in my email." And that's how you could have gotten the idea for electronic signatures. Mm-hmm. And and there are a lot more opportunities in email. Um, and so that's that's another way that you could find pain. Nice, cool. Thanks for that. I just want to make sure we we get that other because that was such golden information last time we talked. I okay. also have I also have a note about fortune being in the follow up. Ah, uh, this is in yeah, this is related to exactly this as well. This was a tweetable actually um, from the last episode, and 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 to give you some context, it was when you reach out to these other bloggers or influencers who you were trying to see if they have any issues or problems. Um, for me, I remember when I was sort of understanding what was going on in the food truck industry, I emailed about two hundred fifty food truck owners, two hundred fifty to three hundred, and. 
on the first pass, I maybe got 10 answers back. So an extremely low conversion rate in terms of these emails, but they were cold. So that it was a lot, you know, it's, I mean, I got a few back, which is great. And this was for the purpose of asking them a question to feature on a roundup post, which became the first post on foodtrucker.com when it launched. We wanted to launch with a bang, which is why we were doing this. But I also wanted to introduce these people to what we were doing and, and establish a relationship, relationship with them. So only 10 people out of 300 emailed me back. And then I followed up with the 290 who didn't email me back. And then I got about 40 responses from those 290 people. And a lot of times people were like, oh, I missed the first time. Or you know, some people were like, oh, I just wanted to, I thought this was sort of a spammy email, but now that you messaged me back, I, I know you're serious about it, so here's my answer. And we ended up getting a total of 50 food truck owners to share what their biggest pains were in the food truck industry and we posted that on foodtrucker.com something they wish they had known before they first started and that became a viral post it, it literally went viral on reddit for a couple days and um, that was really cool and a cool way to launch as well and so you you know you had mentioned the fortune is in the follow-up i mean that's just one example of how just following up with people is going to be incredibly incredibly beneficial just i mean not just for business but for anything really in life where did you learn to follow up? Because I don't think follow up is like a natural human instinct. No, it's not. I mean, it's a it's the the human instinct is to ask once and then that's it. And you know, sometimes even um, when when I am with my son and he'll ask me something and I'll be like, okay, hold on, just a second, and then he'll ask me again. I'll, I'll get like annoyed, right? And so it's kind of like you don't want to be annoying, but I know that uh, you know when he does that, it's really something that he really wants and and. You know, now I'm kind of seeing that example and, and, and using that in my business too, although you don't want to be annoying. But for me, really, I was just like, we can't live with 10. I need 50. So we're going to email these guys back. And if they hate us for it, uh, fine, but I don't think we're being rude here. So it was your dissatisfaction that drove you to follow up? Yes. Interesting. And and so the fortunes and the follow-up to make that practical, if you – if you employ this skill on a high level and you're making a hundred grand a year with no follow up, if you add follow up into most of the aspects of your business, you would go from a hundred grand to four hundred grand based on the data example that you just showed here. Yeah, I mean, that, think about it with with email in terms of uh, people who land on your sales page but leave. You know, they abandon the cart. I mean, there are so many strategies out there. Uh, for following up with those people, tagging those people as they go through the process, but then having them, you know, abandon. I think that's why a lot of times sales processes start with step one, enter your name and email. <laughs> step two, then enter your billing information. Oh, you dropped out of step two. Well, let me send you an email to get you back to where you were and follow up. This makes reminds me too. We uh, one of my good friends. He owns a, one of the biggest autoresponder email services online, and uh, he said that his highest dollar per dollar um, ad spend is on retargeting. And uh, retargeting is if you come to a website and then you leave, if you go to other websites, you see the ad for that website everywhere. Yeah, That's retargeting. It's, it's another form of follow-up. And he said it's, it's by far his highest um, dollar investment activity. So, Pat, we've got the, the four steps. You've got your idea find, by finding your own pain. You sketched a wireframe. You would have pre-sold if you needed money. Um, and then... Uh, for well, do you want to mention anything about how you would have gone about pre-selling for a minute? Because we've only got building, and then we've we've got 
launch and then we're pretty much wrapped up yeah i mean we talked about this in the episode with jared recently uh but i mean essentially i would just create a landing page and share exactly what this thing would do maybe even create or have my developer create a very stripped down version of it just so people can interact with it that sort of thing i know that's something that's fairly popular with digital products and and front-facing pieces of software you can't do that with a physical product uh, obviously but um you know just showing showing it sharing the benefits maybe even creating a video on on um and and plus i had this already on my own site i mean i essentially pre-sold it in, in terms of uh people could already see it and play with it and and you know try to break it themselves on askpat.com um i didn't collect payments up front uh, but that's what i what i would what i would have done and obviously having the benefit there being an early adopter or champion user and having them understand that they would get a deal as one of the first early users and influence in, in the, the product itself as well. So I'd probably use my existing community to do that because I had uh, you know a number of podcasters in my audience already. Of course, I have the podcasting tutorial at podcastingtutorial.com. Um, but pre-selling it if I didn't have an audience already, which I think is going to line up with a lot more people. I mean, there are a lot of different things you can do. I mean – these people whose problems you're solving, those people can become your first set of pre-selling customers. I mean, people who have influenced your decision to start going down this road in terms of the validation and things like that, those people can become your first customers. Um, reg- I, have a, I have a pretty funny example if you want to hear. Please. Um, so we have a student who's um, building questionnaire software for psychologists. Mm-hmm. And so he has no market. So he went into LinkedIn and he started a controversial discussion in a psychologist group in LinkedIn, and he said, what do you guys think of questionnaires? Are you using them? Are you not using them? Are they a waste of time? Do they even need to be used? Kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And he had 154 <laughs> replies to that thread, and any positive thread he um, followed up with for a, a pre-sale call. Ah, fortunes in the follow-up. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even realize I mentioned that. But did you want to say anything more on pre-selling? No, I think that's a smart idea. I mean, going into communities and forums and uh, social media, of course, but even just connecting with influencers. And I would start with anybody in your network, of course, anybody that you already have a relationship with who might have a connection to somebody who would find this useful or who has influence over an audience who would find this useful. Yeah, and you're not pitching your product. You're asking how people go about uh, doing whatever problem your product solves, so nowhere ever do you ever mention your product in your in that those forums. You get you'll get mutilated usually. Right, right, right. Um, I also have a friend. He's got he's our first uh, millionaire uh, out of the program, and he built his entire program without any marketing budget by hanging out in a Facebook group where real estate agents hang out, and the group is actually called "What Should I Spend My Money On." Oh, nice. <laughs> so you got buyers in there for sure. Yeah, you got buyers in there for sure. Uh, Pat, I've got like. One real stinging question here that I think would be good to wrap with. And sure. if, if anybody has any other questions about the software process, that um, if, if the software process isn't feeling possible, you can ask them any question you want in the comments below. I will come and personally answer any question you guys have about software. I want you guys to leave this interview feeling that software is a, is a possibility for you. And um, as we kind of uh, land the plane pad, I'm curious, you mentioned earlier in the interview these two plugins that you did. You didn't launch them because they weren't up to your standard. Yeah. And what I've noticed about you and what I see is so remarkable about your brand is your integrity, but your standard. And I wonder if you can talk about a little bit of your why or, or exactly what goes into the decision process for what you actually put out. Because I think 
if people understood about uh, what standard you have, they might be able to match that standard and then over the long term build a remarkable brand like you have. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's simple. It's am I doing things to serve my audience primarily? My earnings have always become a byproduct of how well I serve my audience. And these two WordPress plugins in the beginning, they were examples of me not necessarily doing that or having that be the primary motivator. The primary motivator before was, to be honest, jealousy and uh, money. And that has never worked out for me. And so when it cut, you know, the, the, the standard I had to eventually let this go because I, yes, I could have sold them and I, I've, I have opportunities just to become an affiliate for other products that can make me way more money than I do now. I mean, I would be making, you know, you know, a quarter million dollars a, a, a month if, if I, if I wanted to, but it's not about the money again. In exchange for, for that, I would have to lose some of the trust that I have with my audience and do some things that I didn't, I don't want to do. I mean, I don't want to be known for somebody who, who does that and uh, puts out bad stuff. And, and anytime I've put out something that I feel isn't worthy or, or not good, um, I've always done what I can to, you know, fix the situation and make it right. Do you happen to have that question like above your monitor? Like, how will I serve my audience? It's just become my mantra. I mean, every day I wonder how can I serve my audience. And then in my in my office, for those of you who have seen episode two of the SPI TV show on on YouTube, go to watch SPI TV. You'll see right behind me on my desk in that office tour. It's uh, kind of halfway through a whole board. It's like five feet by five feet that is covered with thank you notes, handwritten thank you notes, letters, some people's first dollars that they've earned online, um, um, you know, little things that people send me. And I have that on there to remind me to always serve my audience because that's how I've gotten to where I'm at today. And I always also remind my audience that if you feel that I'm going down the wrong road to please let me know. I've had friends in the past who aren't friends anymore because the money changed them and success has changed them. And it's really sad. And, and I don't talk to those people anymore because they're just not the people who i befriended at first but i've seen them go down the road and, and it's not necessarily their fault it's just they got too uh, rich too fast and uh, they changed because of it and i want to make sure that all of you out there listening know that i i don't want that to happen uh and so i appreciate when people call me out on things and, and things like that i do i really really do it's helped me stay guided this whole time and of course i have an amazing wife who does the same thing for me as well uh she always says uh, when I start to maybe get a little bit cocky in terms of how well I'm doing online and things like that, and, and she hears it because she's at home with me and I talk about it, um, she goes, honey, if your head grows too big, I'm not going to be there to support it anymore. And I'm like, okay, thank you, seriously, because I mean, this, this money, this success is scary. It changes you. And you need a support system to help you um, from from going down that wrong path. I mean, we've all known celebrities and people to go down this path, and I don't want to. I don't want to be one of those people. Mm. Well, can you talk for a second on how how you even came to that question in the first place? Which question? How can I serve my audience today? I mean, here here's here's the exact moment in time. Um, October two thousand eight, I launched my ebook at greenexamacademy.com. And then after conducting a survey to my existing customers, there were about 300 books sold in that first month. I was really curious to see what they would say in terms of how they found it or why they bought it. And 25% of the respondents, not everybody responded, but 25% of the respondents said that they purchased that book even though they had already passed the exam months ago. Why? Because I finally gave them a way to pay me back for all what I all the value that I provided for free 
on the website to help them pass the exam before. So for the longest time, I didn't have any way for people to pay me back, and then I came out with this book, and about 25% of my customers that first month said they bought the book just because I finally gave them a way to pay me back, which was that was like, wow, holy crap, you can do this internet business thing in the right way without being a sleazeball, and uh, people can appreciate you for giving value to them. And uh, if you're nice to people, they'll be nice back to you. So you know, serve your audience they or somebody else related to them or just the universe or whatever will eventually pay you back in one way, shape, or form. For people that are just getting started uh, and they're, they've been stuck for a long time, I find they get stuck in this area. And I have, uh, you know, the quality of your life I've found is the, related to the quality of the questions that I ask myself. And, and if, if you are asking, how could I make money? How could I make passive income? How can I do these things? They can be disempowering questions. And if you just ask, how will I serve my audience? Um, what an empowering question, Pat. And if, and if you just do make your focus to serve and you learn how to craft offers and ask for money with integrity, uh, you, sh- you should be pretty well taken care of. Yeah, I mean, but it's not going to be an easy road and it hasn't been, that's for sure. And especially, I mean, I hope you can all see the journey I've had in software here to finally get to this point. Um, it hasn't been a short one, that's for sure. Yeah, and as we wrap, if if, if anybody is interested in reducing their risk in software, um, there's plenty of, of great stuff over at the foundation for you to look at, all, all free, of course. And um, and also there is that that email guide, Pat, about how to find electronic signature software um, that we have a, a, a three-page, short three-page guide if people want to find ideas to also um, all totally free and in and, and service of your audience. Oh, thanks for that. So that's smartpassiveincome.com. Or no, not smartpassiveincome. It's uh, thefoundation.com slash Pat, I believe. Yes, yes. Cool. So go ahead and check that out, everybody. Thank you so much, Dane, for interviewing me here. I think this was uh, very, very helpful for everybody. I want to know what you guys think. Head on over to smartpassiveincome.com slash session 149 and let us know what you think. And again, like Dane said, you can ask questions if you're not really feeling software is for you, but you but you think it might be um, and you have questions. Dane will be there. He's been already active in the in the uh, the, the on the page and, and he's always here to help. So thanks again, Dane. Um, I appreciate you and all the best to you and your students. All right, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Dane Maxwell. Again, you can find him at thefoundation.com. They have a lot of great free content there. And you can go to thefoundation.com slash pat to get your free giveaway that Dane just talked about. So again, thefoundation.com slash pat. Pat. Thank you again for listening to this episode. I also want to thank today's sponsor, which is FreshBooks.com, a super easy to use, the easiest to use cloud accounting solution, which makes all of your business finances incredibly organized so you can focus more on what you need to do as a business and not trying to manage all the finance stuff, which can be an absolute headache and FreshBooks can be that solution for you. They make keeping track of your income, your expenses, and online invoicing super easy. And you could try it out for 30 days for free. Seriously, 30 days for free. You gotta check this out by going to freshbooks.com slash SPI and enter SPI in the how did you hear about us section. I mean, one of the biggest mistakes I made when I first started was trying to keep track of all my finances with uh, Excel and email and uh, come tax season, I finally understood the power of having a software like FreshBooks in my corner, the best cloud cloud accounting solution you can find. So go to freshbooks.com slash SPI and enter SPI in the How Did You Hear About Us section to get access to a 30-day free trial for you. So check it out. Thanks so much. I appreciate you listening to the show, all the show notes, and you can leave comments at 
smartpassiveincome.com slash session 149. Cheers, take care, and I'll see you the next episode, uh, 150, where I'll be talking about my daily routine, and it's not a night owl routine anymore. I wake up earlier. It's all thanks to Hal Elrod in episode 140, and I'll tell you how that's changed my life and pretty much what my ritual is every single day when I wake up. Cheers, take care, and I'll see you in the next episode. Peace. Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income Podcast at www.smartpassiveincome.com.